1998, Boulder, Colorado. Six-year-old John Vinay Ramsey had been killed in her own basement, with the rest of her family sleeping peacefully, a case that's been cold for almost 25 years. What really happened to this poor young girl? I'm your host, Shelby Pride, and this is Colorado Cold Cases. Disclaimer, this case does include the sexual assault and murder of a child, along with theories that are purely speculations and none of the claims made in the theories section are necessarily true. Joan Benet Ramsey was born on August 6, 1990 to her parents Patricia Patsy and John Ramsey. She had an older brother named Burke who was three years older than her. Her family was extremely fortunate, fortune-wise, and John Benet grew up extremely privileged. When she was about five years old, she enrolled at High Peaks Elementary School in Boulder. Her father, John, had a job working at a computer software company. In 1978, his marriage to his first wife disbanded while his two children were moving with him to Boulder, Colorado to live with his new wife, Patsy. John landed a job at Access Graphics, and things seemed to be going perfectly. Together, Patsy and John had John Binet. Her given name combined her father's first and middle name, and while deciding on her middle name, they gave her the same middle name as her mother. Her mother, Patsy, saw great potential in John Binet, so she enrolled her in many beauty pageants as a child, which she showed to have a lot of skill in. You may know her face from the beauty pageants of America's Royal Miss, Little Miss Chevrolet, Little Miss Colorado, Colorado State All-Star Kids Cover Girl, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. On December 26th of 1996, Patsy was having a normal day when suddenly she found a note on the kitchen staircase of their family's residence. Two and a half pages of demands. The note demanded $118,000, which is around $204,000 today if we account for inflation. After reading this note, Patsy soon realized that her daughter was missing. John was the first to contact the police and when they arrived, they began the investigation. He pointed out that the amount that was demanded was the same amount as his Christmas bonus that he had received the year prior. The police noted down any people who knew about that information as possible suspects. Another police theory referenced Palm 188, which suggests that it could have been a religiously motivated crime. One of the odd things that stuck out more in this note was the unusual length. If you were to commit a crime and want to get away with it, wouldn't you avoid dropping hints? The length of the letter suggested that the criminal could possibly be a narcissist who thinks that no matter how many hints they drop, they'll still get away with it. This type of behavior in crime is very common amongst narcissistic murderers. However, evidence suggests that this was staged. The length of the note would have made it hard to write and not get caught. There was no fingerprints on the letter aside from Patsy's and the authorities. The note, however, was speculated to be written from the actual Ramsey residence, and a draft of the letter was also found at the scene. Aside from the premeditated fact of this abduction, the note contained a lot of explanation points and misspellings. The letter read as such. Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign fraction. We do. We do respect your business, but not the country it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed. If you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw 118,000 from your account. 100,000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining 18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure you bring an adequate size attached to the bank. When you get home, you'll put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money in a hence 
earlier delivery pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as the police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if they are found, she dies. You can try and deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasurements and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try and outsmart us. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try and grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It's up to you now, John. Victory. S-B-T-C. The letter contained a few spelling errors and had numerous crossed out words. As stated before, the only fingerprints on the letter were the authorities and the families. The only people who knew were seemingly present at the time she was taken. The only people who were seemingly present at the time she was taken was the family. The police found that there were no signs of forced entry, and as per procedure, they searched the house. Initially, nothing was found. Luckily, the police did one more sweep through of the house and found that John Binet's body was in the family's basement. Once they found out that this was a homicide case rather than a kidnapping case, the dread slowly set in for both the family and the police. The search crew had been parading in and out of the house and they had destroyed possibly crucial evidence for this investigation. However, on the night John Bonet was murdered, two windows in the home's basement were left particularly ajar. Additionally, a third window in the basement was broken. However, it is worth noting that the broken window appeared to be undisturbed due to intact cobwebs covering it. If someone had entered this way, the cobwebs would have been destroyed. And although it's not much evidence, it's something. It's a start. With the little evidence they still had intact, the police started up the homicide investigation. The first suspect, the parents. For years, both in the media and the police investigation, people believed that the parents had staged the kidnapping and then murdered their daughter. Under Jean Binet's fingernails and on her clothes, there was DNA that was speculated to be the killer's. So with that, the police tested the DNA with the parents and it came back negative, which shut down the theory that the actual killer was the parents. But the police still kept them under the investigation as suspects, as they could be involved with the murder still. It wasn't until 2008 that her parents were completely cleared of any suspicion of their daughter's murder. In her autopsy, it had shown that she had died from suffocation slash strangulation, and it is also shown that her last meal that she had eaten one hour before her death is pineapple and milk, which she didn't finish, as most of the meal, if it could even be called that, was found on the kitchen table. While the meal was odd, we will get back to that later. Theories and speculations. I would like to go to the letter that was left to the family. In the letter, they try to make it as personal as possible, especially the last part of the letter. They mention John's name excessively, not to mention that the money was the same amount 
as the bonus that John received. I personally never quite got the parental theory of the parents killed John Bonet. It makes little sense if we were to look at it from a bigger picture. The motive for the murder was framed to be for financial gain. However, not only was the Ramsey family rich, but they also demanded money from themselves, and this collection of money scam would eventually be caught. As for the no signs of breaking and entering, the investigation team would have destroyed any possible evidence, and were not originally looking for signs that she was killed or signs of an intruder. Not to mention that there was little, possibly insignificant, but in this case crucial evidence that there was a break-in. So far, there has been no major breakthroughs or no significant evidence brought forth. However, this justification just explains why the parents didn't murder her. However, this never meant that they didn't have a part to play in her death. Going back to Jean Benet's final meal, the odd nature of the choice after the police asked the parents about the snack, Patsy had replied that this snack, while rather odd, was common amongst her kids. Both Jean Benet and her brother ate this snack a lot. And they also found that the pineapple was not canned. It was freshly cut, meaning that the person that made it would have needed to use a knife. Jean Benet was six years old. Why would she be able to locate, better yet, use a knife? which means that her brother would have been able to use one and prepare it for her. Along with the bowl of makeshift cereal, there was also a mug of water with a tea bag set in it. On these glasses and bowls, there were Burke's fingerprints. He was nine at the time and had reports of both anger issues and aggressions towards John Bonet. So it's not all that far-fetched. To add to the suspicion, according to the FBI, Burke has a history of scatological problems. And this certainly wasn't just a one-time event, as professionals had regone over the case. Twenty years later, they found out that all signs point to Burke. As stated before, this wasn't the only time he directed his anger towards his sister. Experts revealed that Burke had struck his little sister with a golf club after losing his temper and left her with a scar on her face a year leading up to her death. Adding on to that, he also smeared feces all over both Jean Benet's bedroom walls and all over her Christmas presents. This, along with the aggression, could pose a possible motive. Hatred. It's not that hard to see that the parents paid more attention to their daughter than their son. At least the mother did. This could have infuriated Burke, and could have been building for years. So he could have killed Jean Benet out of resentment, and lured her in with a game or rather a snack. People like to believe that Patsy prepared the snack for her kids, then Burke and Jean Benet ate it before going to bed. However, this theory doesn't sit right with me. Patsy even confirmed this in an interview herself, saying, Somebody else did this, because I would never put a spoon that big in a bowl like that. I think I would put two or three pieces on their plate with the rest of the food or something, because I mean, it looks weird to set it out in a bowl like that. I don't necessarily see how lying in the situation would benefit her, but on top of that, the meal seems like that a kid would compose. A tea bag and a glass of water, pineapple and milk, and a huge tablespoon in a smaller bowl. Children tend to go for the larger silverware slash proportions, so this makes sense. This would link Burke right to the time where John Bonet was attacked. However, while the bowl with pineapple and milk had both Burke and Patsy's fingerprints on it, the glass of tea only had Burke's. And in an interview, John contradicts himself many times in regards to the tea.
Along with that, Gian Benet had been reported to have a high mental injury that indicates previous slash ongoing sexual abuse slash assault. Before she died, she was assaulted with a paintbrush, but since no sperm and no penile penetration were found, the gender or age of the attacker could not be determined. To further this theory, Jean Benet would wet the bed often, so after she changed her clothing, she would go to her brother's room and sleep in there. This could easily pose a mode for the assault, along with the perpetrator. A housekeeper had reported seeing the two playing games often. Quote, I walked in on them two or three times while they were clearly playing some game like Doctor. They were in Burke's bedroom and had made a fort out of the sheets from his bed. They were under the sheets and Burke was really embarrassed when I asked him what was going on. He was red in the face and yelled at me to get out. It happened about two or three times in the months leading up to the Christmas when John Bonet died. End quote. Coincidentally, this was also around the time that her bedwetting issues reemerged. Wetched, an author who wrote a book about this case, had stated that, quote, the red blood cells from the new inflammation were present at the same location as the chronic inflammation, the same damaged spot that has proved prior contact of a sexually abused nature had, again, been inflamed the night she died. This means that the person who murdered her also sexually assaulted her both the night she died and the night before, at the very least. But according to her autopsy, acute inflammatory infiltrate was not seen, which implies that she was dead likely right after her assault. There's a great possibility that the parents found out about Burke killing John Bonet after, which what I would assume was a fit of rage, then tried to cover up the crime for him. And this would check out because apparently, during the first few hours, this was still reportedly a kidnapping, and this would check out because apparently, during the first few hours when this was all still reportedly a kidnapping, the parents had almost completely ignored Burke's safety, especially when he was to be at risk too from these types of crimes and at the same scene where the crime supposedly took place. Could this be because the parents knew what was happening and that Burke was safe because he was the perpetrator? But then there's evidence of the DNA not matching the parents. Wouldn't they see that the DNA would belong to a member of the family? They did find male DNA on John Binet's dress and under her fingernails, and it was proven as a non-match for both John Binet's parents and later for her brother. So who did it belong to? Burke had stated in an interview that John Binet, on the day that she was murdered, had went over to a friend's house, so this DNA could belong to one of her friend's family members. And there's no saying if the friend's house she went over to was a boy or a girl's, so it could possibly be one of her friends, which would mean the DNA evidence wouldn't matter in this case. Which could also mean that Burke is responsible for the death of Jean Benet Ramsey. But in the end, these are just theories, which poses the question, what do you think? <laughs>